Welcome to Think About This. I'm Alexis Dean, and I am so glad you're here. For years, I've been building a community of high-performing, high-impact, wildly generous, and supportive entrepreneurs. I've made a lot of introductions between incredible people, and I always wish that I could learn from the conversations that take place after those introductions. On this show, you and I will get to be part of the conversation as I bring together two successful entrepreneurs for peer-to-peer support and discussions that normally happen behind closed doors. Listen in as we solve fascinating business challenges with lessons and ideas that apply across industries. Get ready to learn, expand, and grow. This is the Think About This podcast, brought to you by the Dovetail community. This week, we're thinking about how to create a community of belonging and understanding in these divided times. Whether you're leading a company, a community, or a small team, or a large team, creating a space where folks feel empowered, autonomous, valued, and connected is essential to your success. Right now, at the time of this recording, we're still in the midst of the global pandemic, and North American society feels more divided than ever. But what if, as business owners and leaders, we have the power to create spaces of belonging and understanding in these divided times? On today's episode, Sayida Zaidi is asking just that question. In a practical sense, she's in the midst of developing and launching the Center for Belonging and Understanding, a community and platform business in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Sayida's learning about what it takes to build a community and a business almost from scratch, And most importantly, and obviously, how to create a space where belonging and understanding are at the heart of everything they do. Lucky for Sayida and you and I, John Berghoff has joined us today, and I couldn't think of a better person to think about all of this with. John Berghoff is the founder of The Exchange Approach, a scientific approach to unlocking collective wisdom in any group. As John says, these are extraordinary times, which call for exponential conversations, which is why innovative leaders like Sayida and I have run to exchange as the solution for bringing together companies, communities, clients, and customers in powerful ways. Before COVID-19, exchange was leaned on by companies like Facebook, BMW, and Costco to facilitate powerful, large-scale conversations when the stakes were highest. Since the COVID-19 outbreak, change agents of every type, including educators, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and thought leaders, are using exchange to create connection, community, and accelerated learning in every imaginable environment digitally, and now face-to-face. Saida Zaidi, whose name literally means female leader, is an experienced facilitator, coach, and supervisor working internationally and across sectors. She qualified as an architect and went on to have a very successful career in architecture before she moved on to continue her studies. Saida holds two master's degrees with distinctions, including one in applied positive psychology, and she's currently in the final stages of her doctorate in identity and intersectionality where issues of power, inclusion, diversity, belonging, and understanding are critically analyzed. She's a firm believer that words create worlds, and that by considering the language of conversations in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, we're able to use connection as the departure point rather than difference. In addition to her current project, Sayida is a fellow of the Association for Project Management. She's the only non-Christian trustee and committee member of the British and Irish Association for Practical Theology, And she's a tutor and faculty member with Myler Campbell, which is a global executive coach training in leadership consultancy and community. Sayida traveled the world with her husband and two children before returning to live in her native hometown in North London. By the end of today's conversation, you'll have advice for how to co-create community and a space of belonging and understanding in your organization. You'll have clarity around the most important components of building a spirit of community, including the exchange approaches for S's. 
and you'll have ideas for creating a shared unifying experience and a vision within your organization. Before we dive in, I should let you know that this episode is a little bit different in the best way possible. It starts off with a moment of pause and some intention setting, and I invite you to take a moment for yourself. Set an intention alongside us and enjoy the background sounds of beautiful chorus. You can check out their music in the link in our show notes. Let's dive in. We're here to rock and roll. Alexis, you want us to jump right in? (laughs) This is the Think About This podcast hosted partially by John for this minute and a half at the start. So just to give you a little backstory, we jumped into a conversation and uh, right off the bat, John and Saida, I should say, as you've heard in the intro, they're both professional facilitators and community builders. And we were going to start recording and John said, can we take a moment of pause? And that's something that I know I like to do and that he does. And I think so, you know, you do as well um, in your sessions when you're facilitating. And so I just invited John to dive right in and leave that moment of pause. So, John, go for it. All right, cool. Well, thank you for the honor. And uh, Alexis and Seda, I'm super pumped to be here with both of you today. This is really cool. Um, And thanks for permission for us to pause. Um, Well, I'm just going to bring a little tune in. May I do that? All right. This is a, is a, uh, a chorus by the name of Beautiful Chorus. And the name of this track is called Heart Chakra. And... I don't know about the two of you, but uh, on a Monday morning, I got a lot going on. So I was selfishly hoping for a chance just to pause and to breathe. So if, if you want to join me, you're welcome to. Um, and if you have your own practices or approaches or beliefs that best serve you, you can integrate or run those in the background or separately. But um, Just invite us for a moment or so to slow down, to breathe in, maybe deepen our breath. And I'll offer uh, an intention for myself and and Alexis and Seda, you're welcome to or not if you wanted to add to this as well. My highest hope is that our time connecting today starts with a gift for Seda, who Seda, you're doing some amazing work in this world that um, from what I know, I'm, I'm of the opinion the world needs so deeply and so badly. And so thank you to you, Seda. And I'm appreciating the mission that you're on. And my hope is not just to serve that mission, but to learn from you in this conversation that we have. I'm imagining for a moment the, uh, the ripples, the lives, the heads, the hearts that can and will be touched, Seda, because of the work that you've already been doing and that you'll continue to do. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are and what you do. Alexis, thank you to you for the gift of bringing us together. Thank you for the extraordinary work you do with the Dovetail community. So many purpose-driven women entrepreneurs 
who you've led for a number of years, Alexis, who have already been creating ripples. And uh, if this conversation finds its way to anybody in any sense of service, thank you, Alexis, for the gift of bringing us here. And I appreciate the chance just to uh, share my intention to be in the highest service to each of you and to everybody this conversation might touch. So thank you for that. Either of you want to express any intention for our connection today before we continue on? Okay. My, my highest intention is to be of service to Alexis and to her audience and also anybody that is going to be impacted by the belonging and understanding work that I do. Amazing. And my highest intention is to gather you two phenomenal humans together. And for you who is listening, if you have your, your earphones on right now, um, or you're sat at your desk or wherever you might be driving and for you to get to listen in and learn from these two wonderful people and, uh, and hopefully find some transformation in your own, uh, community or your own facilitation or the way that you are leading your own team. Thank you both so much for being here. Thanks for sharing that, Alexis. Thanks, Saida. Well, Alexis, back over to you. Where do you want us to get things kicked off? <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you so much, John. You are just obviously the best facilitator I think I've ever met. And, and this, the way you show up every day is uh, remarkable. So Saida and I are both members of uh, John's community, which is the exchange community. And uh, we've both been students of his. Saida, how long have you been a student in exchange or a member of the exchange community? About a year or so. And it honestly, it's the best place for me. It's <laughs> so good. <laughs> amazing. Me too. Around, around about the same amount of time. And uh, it's been amazing. And that's just why I wanted to bring both of you here today. And Saida, I'm going to let you take it away with your big question right now and uh and we'll run with it so Sita, what is the big question that you're pondering right now when it comes to your community so um i'm, I'm looking to create a new community which is focused primarily around uh what i'm calling a center for belonging and understanding um kind of picking up on the way that uh, christopher lockhead articulates some of this stuff it's creating a new category. So there's a lot of work that's been done in diversity, equity and inclusion uh, space. And, and I think it's been incredibly useful to get us to where we are now. But I think there is something new that is needed. And that for me is in the, in the work of belonging and understanding. And so I've done some work in the background to kind of create this new category that is articulated like that. Um, and just just for your audience, a little bit of background on me. So I originally trained as an architect, spent 10 years in local government where I ended up as a director for something called Building Schools for the Future and then left that role. And for the last 12 plus years, I've been working as an executive coach and a business coach. I'm doing research at a doctoral level in identity, intersectionality, belonging, understanding, all these kind of complicated things of what it is to be a human being in search of meaning. And I've realized from that, and then some of the experiences that I've had that really, 
the most difficult thing to do is to cultivate a sense of belonging for us as individuals and then also for others that are within our families, our communities, within the work that we do. And so for me, creating um, this centre and then the community that is associated with it, I think is really pivotal to the work that I want to do in the future and, and hopefully the impact that I'd like to leave when uh, my time on this earth is done. Seda, thanks for that backdrop. And uh, it's been really cool to get to know you. We met each other, like we both met so many people during the COVID era. Isn't it wild? It's kind of crazy. It's mad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I love hearing what you're up to. And um, I, I've got, I'd love to just ask a handful of questions around when you talk about your desire to be able to build a community, um, you know, what are some of the questions within that? And I also just want to acknowledge what a joy this conversation is for me because there's so many dimensions to where I think we might go. I don't really know, but there's, there's even meta levels to this. Um, and I think, I, you know, I would want Alexis's listeners to know that while I might have something to share with you about community building, you have actually been an extraordinary teacher to me about some of the most significant elements of community building. Like if somebody's listening and not watching, it should not be lost on any of us. The just the fascinating dynamic that I as a white male and you as a Muslim woman are here having this conversation. And um, I'm well aware that you and Alexis and many others have seen my work or the work of exchange as leading in a sense and teaching folks how to build community. But I want to start by saying one of the biggest things that I've learned from you is that uh, even when we are building community, we can simultaneously be creating conditions where people in those communities don't feel like they belong. So my own learning, you know, I'm I'm as much looking forward to this conversation because of what I know I can learn from you because the work you're doing, I'm of the opinion and I think there's a lot of people in the world that feel this way. It is so deeply needed. So I'm grateful just that we're having this chat. Thank you, John. I stand on the shoulders of giants. That's all I'll say in response, I think. And, and one of those giants is yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, we've never met in person, so we don't actually know how tall each other is. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a giant. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm relatively short myself. Uh, it's so funny. So we've only seen each other in these boxes. So. Uh, so Seda, on this topic of community, and you and I have actually been uh, in exchange community gatherings for you know many, many hours, days upon days, but we've never had this conversation. So I'm delighted to know kind of what's behind your aspirations. So I, a follow-on question to your initial question of, hey, how, how can I go around building a community around this new category where you're, you're really reframing how we look at DEI, and those are my words. Um, so are there any specific uh, questions that come up for you when you think about building community, um, whether it's based on what you've seen us do at Exchange or not, that, that kind of point to that bigger question, um, questions around who to involve or how to involve or why to involve, um, where to start, where to go next, any mm -hmm. questions at all that are in service of that big question around um, you know, how to, how to build a community in a healthy way? 
Mm. So um, I, I think the way that I'm looking at the, the kind of work of belonging and understanding at the moment is that it will have three elements to it. One is kind of like a research arm, and I know how to do that. And I'm just saying, sharing this for context, really. Please. Um, so one is research. The other piece is kind of courses and training that will be done for individuals and for the corporate sector. And then there's something about stories and people's lived experience and how anyone essentially can share um, their response and feeling to belonging or not belonging and understanding. And and I really love um, the, the Rumi quote, which is a bit of a mistranslation, but for this purpose, I think it's really important where he says, between right and wrong, there is a field and I'll meet you there. And so for me, my approach to belonging and understanding is about being able to meet as many people as possible within the field and expand the size of that field. Mm. So for community building, I think the, the questions really are, and, and um, something that's quite significant is that this will initially be a online community. And in the future, I imagine that it it will turn into an in-person one, but partly because of the pandemic, but also partly because of the variety of voices that can then come in if it is online because of access and cost and all of these other things. It just means that I do want to start it like that. So I know for you, John, for example, you started your um, exchange approach community in person and moved that virtually because of the pandemic. I'm looking to do the reverse. And so some of my questions are around how do you create that kind of strong community virtually where people feel as if they really are able to contribute and that they've got a voice and and even asking difficult questions is is fine and and to some degree being a disruptive voice within um a community is okay because then everyone learns together i think the the key thing for me in in some of this stuff is like i i may be here um leading it it's only because I'm one step forward than everyone else because I'm reading the research and I'm writing the paper and I'm doing the work at a, at a slightly different level. But mm-hmm. I've got just as much to learn as everyone else does. Yeah. So, Seda, what I'm just to reflect back what I'm hearing thus far, and then we'll just keep on. So, so the center for belonging and understanding. It sounds like there's three components to it. Um, I relabeled a few of these just because I wanted to use different words, but there's the science, the services, and the stories, and the stories make up the the people. Um, uh, and I love that. And the, the whole thing about online, well, I, I know you've seen us do this at Exchange. Even though we did have a community before COVID got here, really our community today is almost entirely something that emerged during COVID. Um, and I actually think, and you know, we might explore this, you've seen how we've done it, uh, that the ability to create a, a legitimate, true, authentic sense of community that is a result of real authentic connection and people really feeling safe and, and feeling like they belong, which is at the center of what you're studying. I think that that is not only possible online, but I think for a number of reasons, it is even more possible online than in person, not just because people are hesitant to get on a plane. Um, there's mm-hmm. actually, you know, we've we've let our own 
uh, global inquiry over the last year, we've had thousands of people answer the question, what do they see for the future of convening? You know, both mm -hmm. you and Alexis answered that when you came through our training. And, um, you know, the, with the, some of the primary things, the patterns are accessibility, inclusion, the ability to bring diverse audiences, which online, for obvious reasons, it makes things possible that are less obvious that I don't think we were really paying attention to. So I, mm -hmm. I don't think you see it as an obstacle. I don't. And I hope anyone who's thinking about starting a community realizes that leveraging what's possible online um, in many ways can make community building possible where without it, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that there there is more advantage, I think, in starting online because you can also do a lot of kind of... Um, uh, exploratory work quite quickly yeah. um uh, but that but that piece about you know uh, a variety of voices and and the barrier to entry just being lower for me are really really significant yeah yep totally okay so let me let me go from here that context helps me um and and i want to i want to also just acknowledge Seda that one of the things i admire about you as i'm learning about what you're doing is you are, you are, you take what you do very seriously. Hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the word community gets used. The word community has become popular. And the interesting thing is I think it's for good reason, but it's often used in so many different contexts that um, I, I want for the sake of this conversation, and it's probably less so Seda for you and I than more for someone else who's listening, that I know enough about you and I that, I can define this for us. We're not talking about community from a marketing perspective. You know, we're not. And what I mean by that is the word I often hear the word community used. And then I listen to what someone's talking about. And they're really talking about how many people are on my email <laughs> list. That's my community. I don't think that's a community. I guess you could call it that. But, you know, what I think you and I are interested in is what creates a true legitimate sense of community, a spirit of community. And like you said, the kind of community where the members of that community feel like they're actually shaping who it is and they're creating a sense of connection and value together that is rich and human and significant. So I admire that the little I know about what you're up to, that's you really care about that. And I also know that you've got a lot of people behind what you're doing. And uh, um, I look at this as a fascinating conversation that I can't wait to look back on because um, I have a sense that things are going to be really exciting for you. Mm. Maybe, Seda, what I could do is I could frame up the four elements that when someone asked me today, what have we learned about community? You know, I can I can unpack it in like four phrases or words and then ask you within that framework, where's your biggest interest at the moment? Um, does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. So. You, when when we get asked this question, how do I start a community? How do I nourish a community? How do I expand a community? And you know, for context, a lot of our work is teaching facilitators who are often coaches or community leaders like Alexis or yourself. Uh, how do we facilitate group gatherings in ways that create both transformational learning experiences, but also the kind of connections and relationship building that when it's all done in a certain way, the spirit of community ensues as a byproduct, but then that spirit of community almost becomes one of the most important elements of the ethos of how we bring groups together. So that's the 
context at exchange, our facilitation methods are, you know, facilitating groups to, to ultimately create a spirit of community. When we get asked the question, like you started with today, the answer usually starts in one place. And then I'm going to unpack this so that I can hear for you where your interest is. And we've, deconstructed it down to the four S's. You've heard me allude mm. to a few of these before. And the first one is safety. And the irony is your work is based on safety. We should be having a whole conversation where I'm asking you about safety and maybe <laughs> we can do that. Um, but I know only enough to be a little bit dangerous in that uh, when, it, when, when any person comes into a group setting, we're all asking some version of this question, like, can I be myself and fit in here? And you know, as you know, Saida and Alexis yourself too, like it's, you actually don't want just anybody to say yes to that. You want the right persons to be able to say, can I be myself and fit in? I learned that the hard way. It can't be a community for everybody, so to speak, that has issues. Um, but safety is the first prerequisite or precondition before all the other components of a healthy community, I think even matter. We have to understand at least something about what creates safety. We have our model of that. Um, but you're taking, you know, our learning about safety to another level. I've learned so like one of the big things I've learned from you, Seda, is that, and I alluded to this a moment ago, but I, I feel it's important to say again is, so I'll add a dimension to it. It's not only that we can lead a group in a way where many of them feel safe, even safer than they've ever felt. But at the very same time, there can be others in that group that the opposite is happening. And, and you've taught me that through your work in your life, and I appreciate that. The other thing that I've learned, and this is where coming in as a white male, I can appreciate everything that I still don't know how to appreciate, and that is that there are things outside of my control, uh, systemic structural forces and factors that have taught me that as a facilitator, even if I cognitively understand something like safety, that doesn't necessarily mean I fully uh, am aware of what it feels like for everybody else who I'm leading. And that's been a big leader or a big learning for me as a leader of a lot of different communities. Um, but safety is one precondition that I'm guessing is the one that you probably need the least from me on, uh, considering the center of your work. The second one, and this is something I think you've really got going for you, is so once people feel like they could be themselves and fit in, the right people, we know who this is for. And um, uh, it, the second one would be the story that this group is a part of which is really a way of saying, what's our bigger mission as a community? What's our bigger purpose? Or some would call it the transcendent purpose. And like one of the things I feel like you've got going for you, Seda, is that the purpose that you're aiming to be in service of is so significant. It's so deeply human and it's so badly needed that there is a relationship between the potential that you will have to galvanize the people in the energy to that mission. So that's exciting. Um, but it's not just do you have that sense of purpose? It's how do we enable others to feel that purpose? There's tactical ways to do that and there's more strategic. So that would be something to ask about. And then the third S would be sharing, sharing of value. You mentioned people hearing each other's stories. So I think every community, you know, we operate in these learning communities, which is what you're obviously starting here. Um, a learning environment or a learning community, there has to be sources of value where there's cycles of giving and receiving value. So that's a big question is what are the ways that value is given and receiving? 
a given and received, not just from you to your members, but from member to member, right? And then the fourth S, which is I think the one that's least thought about, but is one that we might have even more interest in than the others at exchange because it's often a missing piece is the idea of stewardship. Like how do we, whether we're starting a community or reigniting one or just trying to nourish something that's been around, how do we enable that community to feel stewarded by its members? So it's not Saida's got this whole thing on her back. Um, so those four S's, just about anything that, that I've witnessed when it comes to community building falls into those buckets. I know that's a lot to unpack, but let me just pause and give you a second to reflect and think about what comes up on your journey as to within any of those buckets, or maybe it's not in those buckets, what feels like it matters most to try and inquire into for you. Mm. And I, I love the the framework that you have set out, and and I'll just go through it system um, systematically, if that's okay. Please do. Yeah. Um, so so for safety, um, I kind of thought you said that um, it can't be a place for everyone, and maybe I am trying to do the crazy thing, which is to create the place that everyone wants to at least have a response to so they will ask themselves do they do they want to join or not and and i say that because i was i was looking at some kind of commentary on the work that was done um around some uh, adverts for um aids awareness in the 1980s and they said that um, we all have aids if one of us has aids um and my kind of uh, interpretation of that for belonging and understanding is if one person does not belong, then we all do not belong. Now, I know that's a huge kind of aspiration, but I think I would like that to be the baseline uh, for the work. So everyone has a sense that they, they could belong and understand, whether it's within this center or this work or with somebody else, but at least that's something that they aspire to. Um, uh, the story and um, the, the work or the piece that you were sharing about the transcendent purpose and it, it being needed, I think that's absolutely right. And I think just my own story, I'm kind of realizing as I'm doing work to understand myself and my own identity is that maybe I'm doing this work because um, I have this real sense of wanting to belong myself and, and when I say belong, I'm even talk, talking about belong within my own skin, right? So when I say that and I articulate it out loud and I'm looking at my skin as a brown person, what does it mean to be belong to be belonging inside an outer layer that is brown and then that is covered within the clothing that I wear, which expresses my faith as a Muslim? And so there's this really interesting story in terms of why I'm doing this work, because believe me, even if you asked me three years ago, would I be speaking about this? I, I would have had no understanding, you know, um, and if I'm able to to be able to feel that I can belong in and I multiple times my own experience has been that I'm the only um, person of color in a space or I'm the only Muslim or even when I was working in construction, often the only woman, you know, now if I can work out what I have to do in my own work to even have an atom of belong, belonging that can keep me in that space then maybe there's something there that will help others to do that. And so my story is other people's stories, because I think 
to some degree, we all have a sense of not feeling like we can belong. And it's kind of tapping into that. The sharing of values, that some of the reflections I had on that very much is around values of listening, uh, teaching and learning. And I think if we create space just to listen to somebody's story, actually that in itself is a huge gift because um, there is something about the art of how you listen and listen attentively. So actually anyone even listening to this podcast is doing a huge gift of service to me personally because they are listening in to what I've got to share and that may then kind of unwrap and unpack some thoughts for them. Um, and this piece about stewardship, if I can just share with you one of the kind of frameworks that, that I've developed in the work that I've done thus far, and that's about um, the idea is how do you kind of uh, um, amplify the work? And so my uh, lens of reference is that you become um, a, an advocate for yourself so you're not having to give up any part of who you are. You're an ally for other people. And I think sometimes what happens, and I know what I'm going to say may be a bit controversial for some, but, you know, that's that's who I am. Sometimes in order to be a real ally for somebody else, you feel as if you have to diminish who you are. And I don't think that that should be the case. I think that to be a real genuine ally for somebody else, you also be an ambassador for who you are, right? Or an advocate for who you are. So you represent yourself. You're then an ally for somebody else. You've got a clear ambition that is set, which for me in this work is about cultivating belonging and understanding. And then, and only then, can one be a ambassador for this work. And that for me is the amplification of all of these things. And so when it comes to stewardship, what I would really like to do is to create a community where once I've kind of explained this framework to people, they they have worked out in their minds how they can do all of these things and carry that forward in every interaction that they have with any other human being, whether it's in a coffee shop or in a conference room. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for Welcome. sharing that. What I'm hearing is if you go back this idea, I just want you to know that how it hits me when you shared my story equals other people's stories. Um, I think that's beautiful, especially when you pointed out your own struggle to belong and in your perspective that there are so many people who have that struggle and maybe they've never actually consciously been aware of it. And maybe it's been affecting how they behave with and for and around other people. Um, I think as I heard you share that, it just, it reminded me that it's probably why I'm here having this conversation with you. Because um, for different reasons, yeah, I had a lot of places in my life where I did not feel like I belonged. Um, and I did not feel safe for my, for, you know, my own different reasons. So I... I feel like you are in service of a purpose that is magnificent. Mm -hmm. your, your, your initial point, Seda, about um, you want everybody to at least react to whether or not they would be members. I think that's okay, and I think it's okay to have a point of view, right, from a marketing mm. standpoint. Hey, my point of view is if one of us doesn't belong, we don't all belong. I think that's beautiful. 
But at the end of the day, when you think about membership of a community, this is something that I learned kind of the inefficient, slow, hard way at exchanges. Um, so let me parallel what you said to myself. Mm. So our central teaching at exchange is about facilitation techniques, right? How do we facilitate in ways that bring out the best in humanity in any group environment? And we feel like we've got a lot of that figured out pretty well. And we also hold, so similar to you, I'm of the opinion that anybody who has ever given the privilege of having the quote unquote microphone in the presence of two or more people should want to be a facilitator. Mm. <laughs> the same way you want everybody to want to care about your stuff, right? Whatever your stuff is. And I say it that way just to make the point that um, I've also realized that there's just only a certain niche of people who when I cast that net are the ones that actually care about what I'm doing. And I got to start with them. Mm. Um, and I, because it, it can actually be damaging for me when I see how many people I think need our training, who I watch their reaction and then say they don't need it. That's actually damaging if I'm not careful because I think righteously they all need it. But no, the ones that need it are actually the ones that realize they need it. At least that's how I choose to see it for right now. Otherwise, I get frustrated. Yeah, I think that's a really, really valid point and something for me to reflect on because uh, I do think everyone, you know, I think all hu of humanity, I mean, what's the thing I wrote? I saw, all trees, all animals, all human beings want to somehow yeah. belong. But if I take that on, Matt, I might as well just stop because it's too big a dream. So what, what you're reminding me is just focus on the people who relate to the mission and to what the community that I'm trying to create and try and, um, express that in a way that they're able to to think that this could be a home for them yeah it's actually what you just raised um i know you and i have a mutual friend dr danny friedland who's a, a close partner of mine and one of the things that danny has helped me to manage is uh, one particular polarity and it's the polarity between I have a big dream and I want to change the whole world. I mean, our purpose statement at Exchange is, is about unlocking potential at scale, right? That's kind of, that's like a sister purpose to you of wanting every mm. tree and animal and person to feel like they're healthy, right? It's like, right? And one of the things I've learned is there it's not an either or. It's not an either you have this big dream or you realize that you want to serve those who are ready, which might feel like a small niche at first. It's a both and. That's been mm -hmm. a big learning for me is I can have this vision and this purpose that our work is in service of changing the world. And by the way, it is. And I see that it is. And having a purpose that big has actually, I think, magnetized extraordinary growth for us. You are aware of our growth. It's I've, I feel very privileged and blessed and fortunate. But at the same time, uh, I can also think really small about who exactly do we want to serve first. And um, especially since you're starting a community, you know, one of our messy struggles was figuring out who we were for. And we were for, we thought we were narrow and small. We thought, okay, we're mm -hmm. for coaches and consultants. And then there kept, we kept adding an and after the question and business leaders and executives and heads of major movements. And, and the interesting thing is we are today but um, we were trying to be th this facilitation approach for so many people that I look back and realize as great as things are, it slowed us down quite a bit. 
Mm. Um, so that willingness to get small at first, I think, is important. And you you raised something else, Seda, um, about stewardship and how important it is for you. So this leads to a question for me, but interrupt me anytime. Any question you have that comes up is, um, you know, do you want to explore right now what we've learned about how to invite members of your community to be co-creators in the community itself? Because I'm hearing within what you're saying, your desire for them to have a voice. You've mentioned that several times. There's a set of tools to do that. And, and you've seen us play with those, but from one side, and you know, if there is a behind mm -hmm. the curtain, happy to share from our side what's worked, what hasn't around, how do we invite our community to be the creators of the community? Yeah, I, I would love to do that. And and if I can just share a, um, a, a couple of other thoughts. So so I've been in a, in a, um, a couple of different places where they've tried to do that. And um, yeah. the feeling amongst some of the audience has been that the the leaders let's say or the community owners are kind of exploiting the community yeah. and so that's that for me is something i i, I know that's not what you're going to teach us because i'm i've been on the side of kind of like being part of a community co-creation as exchange but i just want to put that out there in that it's really really important to me that um there is no not even an atom of a sense that that people who offer themselves to become stewards or to volunteer in any capacity ever feel any sense of exploitation. Yeah. Um, because I think that that just sends some really bad energy to me. And um, it would feel as if I'm I, there's an Achilles heel in the work that I'm doing. There will be. It's just that with the nature of being human, right? But I don't want it to be that. Yeah. Can I jump in and say that was my biggest fear with doing this with the Dovetail community? And uh, Said, I, I don't know if you saw in the group, but John actually guided me, um, as did Steve and a couple other people from the community guided me to lead a two day process to recreate or reimagine what Dovetail can become in the future. And I was so concerned about am I taking advantage of people? Am I exploiting people's willingness or, or desire to do good? Is, is this, you know, the wrong move? Like I'm running a for-profit business. And then when we went through that process, you know, at the end of those two days, um, I need to do a debrief in the group, by the way, but um, <laughs> at the end of those two days, like the, the gratitude that the women were expressing and the way that they felt that they were so much more engaged and so much more involved in the community and the pride that they had in um, how we were co-creating the future, I think it was, it was enormous and it really showed that this was the right move, even though it was a little bit scary. And I think, you know, John, you're about to dive into how to go about doing this. And I think if you're listening at home or you're on your walk or you've got your headphones in, just thinking about how um, it's actually in service to bring people into this process. It's amazing. So John, go ahead. Yeah. And Alexis, I hadn't, you know, heard your perspective since you ran that community co-creation event for yourself. So it's cool to hear that the whole thing didn't implode and end the dovetail community. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> oh, um, well, Seda, what you're raising is, uh, and this is a strength of yours, is you're, you're able to see what can certainly be one of the most important things to navigate, you know, in a situation here. And, and uh, so here's the bad news, good news. The bad news is 
I'm going to share with you and most of the most important learnings I've learned about community building are from royally screwing this up. Um, and That's what I want. I just want to hear those learnings because yeah, they benefit yeah. from, you know. Yeah. In fact, I can guarantee I could give you multiple times, times where I knew it was happening. And I'm certain there's times where I didn't think it was happening, where I was inviting our community to help shape itself. And it, it was having not the ideal impact on the community. So I, I have learned a bit the hard way from that. But I do think so there's both frameworks and then you know, 90 percent of the solution to doing something like this has a lot to do with expectations, both the expectations of the convener, in this case, it would be yourself, Seda, but also of the participants. And that's a big thing I've learned through trial and error. Um, and then there's having a framework, but there's, a, there's kind of an acknowledgement I wanna give before we have this conversation. I wanna try and make it really clear, especially for somebody listening who's brand new to this conversation, what it is that we're actually talking about right now, because this is kind of a radical thing that we're talking about. This is actually not what most community leaders do when it comes to how do I shape who our community is and where we're going. So I just want to I just want to set the table a little bit and make clear that you know we've had the privilege of of witnessing and learning from and training folks like yourself Alexis who you were already far along when we met you in Seda you're starting something and we've met everyone in between and and there are a lot of leaders of communities who are doing amazing work. And we've seen many who don't try and use what we're here to talk about and have plenty of success. Mm. We've seen many leaders of different learning communities use these tools and have wild success. But I've also been the one leading it for them in the room where it also had pitfalls and problems. But what we're talking about, in case someone is hearing this and it's not totally clear, what we're talking about is how do you invite the members of a community, whether it's existing or not yet in existence, to participate in specific conversations where they are contributing to some of the most significant answers to the biggest questions that you could ask, which is, why do we exist? Who do we want to be? How do we want to behave? Where are we going as a community? What would it look like for us to create value together? How do we make those come true? And okay, what's now going to happen? Those are some of the foundational questions that we're talking about, um, which is a big deal. So mm -hmm. I think I think a good unpacking point here, Seda, would be uh, part of this has to do with your decision that you do want to invite, whether it's initially a core group and then eventually maybe a larger group. And you could define core group however you want. You could say, I'm going to start with five or 10 key stakeholders that are already key partners of yours, or you'd like for them to keep be key partners, right? And then, and then eventually maybe you want to engage your whole community the way we do at Exchange twice a year. We're doing this again in October where we invite its open forum. Hundreds of people could show up and they're actually helping us to co-design answers to our biggest questions of where are we going and what's next. But at the starting point, the two questions, the first two questions to ask are, um, who do you want to involve and, um, and why does this community exist? Now, you already have some answers to why does this community exist. And what I found is really important is before you bring together a team, a small team or a larger team, and start asking them, who do we want to be and what do we want to look like and how do we want to behave? 
it's actually important to invite the very first group. This is this is about embodying. You want to invite them to have a conversation where they are contributing to the question of why does this community exist? Which is we call that the fundamental purpose question. It's the question that I believe should precede all the others. And it doesn't mean their answers are the same as yours. It doesn't mean you have to take their answers and make it the answer. But what it means is when a group of people at the very start is given some context and then ask the question, why does the world need us to come alive? That's the first and most important question and conversation to have. And you don't really want them to all have the same answer as you, because like you said mm -hmm. earlier, you know, we're all just our own story. And you could argue that there's one purpose to the center for belonging and understanding, but there's also another case to be made that there's not one purpose. There's a purpose for every person that comes in contact with it. And it's only when you invite everybody to answer that question that you start to connect to what is the truly legitimately shared sense of purpose that we have. So that'd be one of the first conversations to have considering the stage that you're at. And um, I know because of your awareness of our work, that's not a uh, that's not a new idea. And then from there, then at that point, you make the decision as the host, as the convener, if you want to expand who you're inviting into these co-creative conversations. And if now you want to have conversations around who do we want to be, and we can talk about what the fundamental questions are for that, and then what would you do with their answers? Um, but let me pause for a second and just check in on what I just shared and see where this sits or not at this point. Yeah, I, I love that, especially just kind of like going back a, a couple of steps when you said um, it's not just about having a purpose for the center. As you were speaking, what I thought actually, you know, like if there's 7 billion people on the planet, there's 7 billion different versions of the purpose, yeah. you know, and it's listening to what those are and somehow creating something that's common enough for people to have their own interpretation of, but doing that um, in conjunction with others. Yeah. Um, just just another kind of thought, if if I may add, um, I remember when I was at university and I was doing architecture, architecture is a seven year course. And once a year we would do a project that was called the vertical. And it meant that we weren't working with our peers. I mean, even as I say it, you're kind of nodding, you know exactly where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. weren't working with our year group, but we were working kind of like vertically with somebody from every different year group. And it's just incredible the amount of learning that happens there. So when my, my ambition for all of the communities that exist within the Center for Belonging and Understanding is to have vertical communities so that people who are completely new, who have no idea, as well as people who are more experienced come together. Because if you have a conversation around, well, um, what would what would what would you need in order for this community to come alive and it includes that vertical i think you'll have an answer that avoids groupthink that avoids people kind of feeling that they've got to answer in a particular way and that is how i envisage all the voices or more voices can be heard because that's certainly my experience of when i was doing those projects at university that's beautiful yeah, what you're referencing, you and I have a shared mutual friend. Actually, Alexis, you probably know Mo McKenna. She's out of mm -hmm. Toronto. And uh, one of the things Mo taught me years ago was the what you just referenced is the power of intergenerational uh, 
uh, dialogue or learning or wisdom sharing. And yeah, I mean, you've seen how we do that at Exchange is, you know, we have a, a, a kind of a uh, quirky model where you can't actually be a part of our community without going through the three day shared experience of our training. And that that's worked really well for us. It's um, we stumbled into that. And but during that training, approximately 30 to 50 percent of the participants are from prior generations of the training. Right. So members come back and we purposefully mix them during every interaction, including why does the world need us in this room, including what do we see for the future of how we facilitate and gather, including uh, what are the kinds of values that we want to see brought forward when we do facilitate. So we actually we have several questions that are what, what are technically called a global open inquiry for us. These are questions we continue to ask at a pretty large scale. And when we do it, we're mixing who's in those conversations for exactly that reason, Seda. It's, we don't necessarily always take the time and reveal that that's all, everything that's actually happening in those moments. But what you just described is, is happening mm -hmm. regularly with us. Yeah. I have a side question, if I can, based yeah. on something that you just shared. And it kind of got me thinking, well, my... Yeah, I mean, it would be lovely to be able to do this work for free and to have a sponsor that's going to come along and, you know, basically throw money at me. But sadly, I don't. So the reality is, is that in order to do this work, there will be um, a kind of economic proposition that is put into place. And so the model that I was going to use is very much along the lines of the exchange one, which my interpretation of that is to do workshop experience and then a membership. Yeah. When, when I heard you speaking, you, you said something that is kind of quite powerful in how I interpreted it in this moment, in that in order to be a member of this community, you have to go through the online exchange experience. So what I heard in that is that there has to be a base level of understanding of our methodology and our frameworks. Um, and I was just wondering, what are your thoughts on me then kind of having that as like, and I really do not like using these words, but it's what's coming to my mind, but having that as a, as either as a barrier to entry or the kind of way that you then express that you're interested in this work. Watch this. Are you ready? You'll love this, Seda. Try this language instead. The power of a shared initial unifying experience. So instead of a barrier mm. to entry, how about a shared unifying experience I love or it. uniting experience, if you prefer that word? Yeah, there's, um, you know, this is, you know, this is, doesn't fall into our framework for co-creating, but there's a fascinating relationship here in our backstory at Exchange. And that is when we first started training our facilitation methods, we had executives and community leaders and this whole mix up of folks that came through our first trainings years ago. And back then it was in person. And the first cohort we had, it was about like 20, maybe 25 people. And they came together in the spring and then they flew back in six months later. That was our model because we, we thought initially we don't know what we're doing and we need six months to figure out how to sweep up whatever mess we made with whatever we told them the first time they came to town. <laughs> So when they, this is, this is a funny story too, if you ask anyone that came to that training, when they came back to the three-day like capstone session where, okay, now you graduate, we thought to ourselves, well, what is it that they're supposed to have learned or be learning through this program? And one of them was how to 
invite groups to co-create their future together. So when they came back, they walked in the room on the first night of a three-day thing. And they walk in an empty room filled with flip charts and big whiteboards and post-it notes and markers. And I broke them into three teams and I said, you have two hours to co-design the agenda for the next three days. And that's exactly what happened. They wow. actually designed the agenda for the next three days. We gave them some constraints. And then on the last day of that first graduating group, we did an activity at the very end where I looked at the group and I gave them a very simple question. I said, what should exchange do next to serve you? Is there a next? What should we do? And they had this small window of time and they all got together. And, they, and at that time we were a training. There was no membership, no community. We didn't, there's no model to keep taking their money, literally. And they, they got back together and unanimously they said, they said, John, we're pretty sure you didn't do this on purpose, but the methods that you taught us didn't just teach us how to facilitate. They turned us into a community, like something we haven't mm -hmm. experienced before. So we just want to keep coming back together. That's how our membership was born. Um, I don't remember all the reasons why I told you that story. Oh, our origin story. So I share that with you because um, that's how our membership was born. But but to this day, if someone's listening to this conversation, you could look around on the intraweb. You cannot even see that we have a community. And that's literally the centerpiece of our business model from an economic standpoint. It's a multi-million dollar enterprise. You literally can't actually see that we have a community. And I'm not, that's not necessarily a badge of honor or how it should remain. But I think one of the one of the biggest lessons that we stumbled into is our business model and it was an accident at first but now it's very thoughtful and that is the way that people come through a front door is everything mm. and for us the front door has become this disneyland of a choreographed extraordinary experience where it's when they meet me in the public workshops, I'm now very conscious that even though this is a free public two hour thing, this is actually the beginning of them potentially becoming a part of our community. Even though during that workshop, I'm inviting them to come to our training and I don't even talk about our community, mm. right? And then there's things we do on the way to that initial training so that they can actually feel safe when they get to the training. And then when they come through the training, we say, hey, if this, delivered what you wanted or more than what you wanted and you want to continue with us now you can be a part of this community and say to yes for us having everybody essentially required to go through that same front door three-day unifying experience where everybody now understands the language the culture the rituals how we treat each other with dignity and humanity that has been such a big ingredient to then on the back side of that having a community that thrives and actually during that initial training we have about a dozen different rituals and we would tell someone if they ask but people don't even realize that a lot of what we're doing during the training is we're preparing people so that if they chose to become a part of the community they're actually already embodying the values and the behaviors that help the community to thrive but we're setting mm -hmm. that up in the very big first conversations mm -hmm. so that's my me reflecting back that yes having that shared initial experience i think is an ingredient that I see some communities have that, um, mm -hmm. but it's pretty easy to do once you decide mm -hmm. you want to do it.
Can I ask a quick question? Oh, sorry. <laughs> just something to clarify and something you were just sharing because Saida, you might have thought the same thing. When you did that and for people listening too, who are like, awesome, I'm going to get people to come in and co-create and reimagine this. Or, you know, maybe we're doing a three-day workshop and instead of planning it all, I'll just have the people tell me what they want. Um, would you change how you did that? Because it sounds like they didn't know that they were coming and going to create the whole weekend plan for themselves. And I don't know if you had anybody in the group who was like, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what I would put on those three days or weren't expecting that. Um, is there anything you would have changed in how you led that approach? Well, so I appreciate you asking that question. And I guess there's a very important, vitally important disclaimer to this little story I just told. And that is teaching or knowing how to facilitate a group co-creating their future is at the center of what we know how to do really well. So there is a surgeon's general's warning here. If you don't know, if you don't have a process, if you don't know how to invite a group to, to co-create answers to questions like who do we want to be or where do we want to go or what does the agenda look like, that would be a disaster. So thank you for asking. Mm -hmm. um, so in, I would only say the way I would do it today might be a little bit different because of how much we've learned about inviting groups to co-create. But the reality is that the center of our work is also a method for enabling groups to know how to shape their future. So you have to have the method and the tools, and I'm happy to keep going into what that looks like if that serves Saida here. So thank you for mm -hmm. asking that, Alexis, because you've seen what can happen when you have the method. If you don't, you shouldn't try any of this. Mm. Yeah, and if, and go for it, Saida, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of like building on that. I think the thing for me that's really, really clear is that um, I think in my own language is, John, I think you're gifted, you know, and, and for me, I think God has given you an enormous gift in terms of your ability to just kind of show up as a facilitator. Obviously, you've got, you know, years and years of experience in doing this stuff, but testimony to that, and I and I would like the listeners to know this, is that my joining exchange was because I didn't go through the workshops. I attended um, a, a kind of workshop that you were running for another event. And yeah. when I saw you within five minutes, all I all that was going through my head was I need to learn how to do this because it's genius. Mm. And so I came in through a different route, but here's the thing. If I'd known that the public workshop was available, I would have attended a million of those. And I still actually now come to them to learn how to do it from a different way. So my encouragement for anyone and everyone who's listening is that really they should sign up for one of the public workshops that Exchange does. Because it will just it will give you some of the tools even for how you can improve basic conversations with people that you live with, you know. And I th and honestly, John, like, sorry, I just think you're an absolute genius in the stuff that you do. Really. Oh, well, it means a lot, and thank you. And uh, yeah, if anyone makes their way to one of our workshops, great. Alexis will figure out how to give out the URL for that later on. But uh, linked yeah. in the show notes if you're listening. Cool. <laughs> well, well, it, let me come back to you and. What we've talked about thus far, uh, and I love that you brought us sideways to this strategic element of having folks come through that shared front door, but we could also come back to, if you want, what are the next conversations that you might invite a community into or a core group into beyond why does the world need us here? And, and I, there's something I didn't say that I feel really strongly that, that should be said here. 
a question that invites a community to understand their shared transcendent purpose is the kind of question and the kind of conversation that should happen again and again and again and again. It's not something where you check that box and you've done it. Inviting people to get reconnected, recommitted, regalvanized by why does the world need us in this conversation? We start every training, we start every public workshop uh, with some version of those questions. Every organizational change effort that we do for big companies, it always starts with some version of why does the world need us in this room? Um, so that's one thing I just wanted to say. The other thing is, one of our shared teachers and a personal mentor to myself, Meg Wheatley, you know, she taught me many years ago, when it comes to healthy community, to remember that people care about what they create. Mm. So you had shared, Seda, one of your concerns was you didn't want to feel like your community was being exploited if you asked them to help you co-create answers to what kind of values do we want to have around here? Or how do we want to create value together? You know, similar word, two different meanings there. Um, but what, what I found is when we do it in a healthy way, when you invite people into conversations that help to crowdsource answers to those questions, it's actually not just beneficial to you, but to them because mm. they got to shape the thing that they are either already committed to or considering committing themselves to. Another way of thinking about it is just product design, service design, right? A, a vision is just another thing to be designed. Values are another thing to be designed. And, you know, there's, there's one way of designing an answer to any one of those questions of what's our product, our service, our offering, values, vision, is we can, we can guess what our community will want. We could ask them to fill out a survey because we could, and we can do, it's a both and, you could do some of that. However, what we found is the most efficient and effective way to design anything is to turn the customers, so to speak, into the designers, mm. right? And when, when the customer becomes the designer, it's in service of all, not just me, the convener. It's in service of mm. them because they're also making an investment. So I think the way to screw it up is not set healthy expectations, you know, and there's and to point out in advance, hey, I'm gonna invite you to help me co-create our values for the center of belonging and understanding or our vision. And I think some key expectation setting lessons would be when bringing them in, it's here's an easy mistake to make. If I'm bringing a group in to help me co-create values or vision for a community, this is aside from whether or not you have the process. I happen to know you have the process and the tools because you've been through our trainings. Mm -hmm. But once you have that, when it comes to expectations, it starts with my own expectation, which means your expectations. And that is when you invite a group in to co-create answers to key questions alongside of you, it's important that you not hold the expectation that either A, their answers are gonna match yours, right? Mm. Or B, that their answers are gonna inspire you or B, answers that you like. It's important to really see it a little differently mm. where the goal here is not so much about the ideas they generate as much as it is about embodying the practice of building community at the very mm. beginning of building the community for you it's hey i just want to listen at scale i just want to hear what they have to say so it starts with your expectation of what are we really doing here there was a school system in australia 
Michelle McQuaid, who came through our trainings a couple of years ago, told us this story. She invited the students to design their school. This mm -hmm. is in Australia. So sharks are a big thing for these students. And they designed, they designed a, uh, a, an entryway that when they walked through the school, they'd all be walking through an aquarium surrounded by sharks inside of big shark tanks. And the facilitators were sat down by the administrators and they're like, what are we gonna do now? We can't deliver on what the students created. And the, the wise facilitators went back to the students and asked them, well, what is it about the sharks in the shark tanks? He said, actually, it just helps us feel safe. It helps us feel connected to nature. And so they realized, okay, we don't need millions of dollars for shark tanks. They created artistic murals and had even stuffed animals and statues, depending on the grade level, all throughout the building of all these animals that were native to them. Mm. And the kids said, this is even better. So it's not just about the ideas that emerge, it's about the spirit behind the ideas and listening even more deeply to what people are yearning for. And then you decide how you want to honor that if and mm -hmm. when you're the one that's gonna crystallize what those values and that vision is. So that starts with your own expectations inside of yourself. But then it has to do with how you set expectations with members of your community when you invite them in. This is the one I've screwed up royally for both our community and other people's communities. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that is when they, when they are invited in, you almost have to have an external version of that internal conversation. Hey, we're not asking you to answer where are we going because we're sitting here dependent on those answers entirely and whatever you say is what we're gonna do. That, maybe that's what happens, but that's not really the point. Mm -hmm. The reason we wanna ask you, what are your visions for this center? is simply, and it comes down to just a dignified, respectful um, humanity in the approach we're using. We just wanna know what your aspirations are. We wanna listen so that as we continue to make decisions around where we're going or how we're gonna get there, we know that we at least had this moment in time to hear your voices. And then it's on me, or in your case, it's on you to honor what they shared and to either stay in communication or bring them back together or decide if you are or if you're not going to leverage what they shared and then respectfully tell them why. But mm. letting them know up front, we're not mm. asking you what should our values or our vision be because whatever you say is what we're going to do because that's not really rational. That's not how any great mm. innovation process works. Mm. We just want to listen at scale right now. Um, and of course, Seda, last thing, when you, I know you know this, but when you invite a group of your community at the earliest stages together to imagine around why are we here? Who do we wanna be for each other? Conversations around values or opportunities or visions. The biggest benefit of those conversations, this comes back to your expectations, and you might reveal this to them, it's your choice. The biggest benefit is not really the output of those conversations. It's the byproduct of them actually connecting in a way where they are embodying the very thing that your center stands for. Mm. It's the byproduct of them feeling more connected to each other. It's the byproduct of them having those conversations in a way where you're actually enabling the spirit of community long before you have crystallized answers to who are we and where are we going. Mm. That serves you well into the future, especially at the early stages. So, okay, I have to stop myself because I get really riled up and excited and I keep talking, so. <laughs> So there's, there's so much for me to kind of reflect back. Firstly, I, I love the thing that you shared about um, kind of how do we find our transcendent purpose? And and it took me to uh, an exercise that I do fairly regularly, 
perhaps even once a month, which is something Professor Anthony Reddy of Oxford University taught me. And it is in my book, Results of the Art and Science of Getting It Done, on page 41 for anyone who wants to find out more detail. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's simply... <laughs> thank you. It's simply like writing down, I am, and then answering that thing. Because if you do this on a regular basis, you find out the answer to it is always going to be different. And I think what I have... Um, decided is that I would like to do that for the community. So the Centre for Belonging and Understanding is and do that on a regular basis mm. and ask people what they think. Because uh, here, I, I ran a similar workshop on that. Here, I'm showing you a bundle of papers for um, for the practical theology. And I essentially said to them, what is it? What does it stand for? And it was just fascinating unpacking some of those things. So this is an exercise that we can do for ourselves. But actually, I think we can also do it for institutions and organisations. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that I heard very strongly was, I, I will put my own frame on it which is about permission so it's about permission to listen and permission to listen intently uh, also give permission to be awkward and be give permission to ask difficult questions and kind of like you know and um, create some tension because one of the things that you've taught me john really really clearly is that in that tension if you're able to stay in that place of discomfort you get huge amounts of learning so some of my biggest experiences and and takeaways from being in exchange have been because i've literally kind of stayed in that place of discomfort mm -hmm. and and in, and telling people in advance that that will happen because i think that if if they know that, they actually, I suppose the byproduct of that is that they will feel an enhanced um, sense of belonging and understanding because they know discomfort is part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that you and I are both seem to be very comfortable being uncomfortable. It's something that you and I share. And we've done it with and for each other, in front of each other. We've been the source of each other's discomfort, which is great. And, and, and we've done it publicly within OXEs and all of that other stuff as well. Oh, so with lots of people there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it reminds me, Seda, you and I have had moments where I might be facilitating and there's, you know, 50 or 100 people in the middle of a multi-day immersion and, and you raise uh, a really, what some might feel is a question that invites attention and um, as you've noticed, uh, even if, it, if I am feeling tension, I want us to sit with those questions. I don't want us to move past them. And one of the sources of teaching that that comes from for me, and you, you certainly have your own, is I had someone taught me years ago and I wish I could, I could source and cite who this was. It may have also been Meg Wheatley. And it was the idea that in group gatherings, it is often the person or persons who sometimes appear or feel to be the most, quote unquote, the outsider, right? And, and I think we can all interpret that however we want, that that person who maybe is bringing a perspective or behaving in a way or embodying something that is different from everybody else. And maybe even to the point of it creates some tension for others or discomfort. I was told a long time ago, 
that when we look at group dynamics, human dynamics, living systems, that that person often holds for the rest of the group the most important gift. Hmm. That person often holds for me the most important teachings. And that's really easy to say in the comfort of a chit chat like this. It's, you know, it's something else to know uh, how to navigate in the moment. But um, yeah, well, that's, that's even that's more reason for me. Yeah, yeah, it's even more reason for me why I want to do this thing in belonging and understanding, because basically in those few sentences, you've summarized my thesis, you know, the doctoral research that I'm doing, which is about how do you, how do I go into a space that is pretty much all white and still be able to hold that tension and that space because there's a huge amount of kind of like energetic stuff that's going on for me, but I also know there is for everyone else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, thank you for the times that you've done that. And my only hope is that you will continue to do that if nowhere else, at least inside our community at Exchange. You can't get rid of me that easily, so. Oh, that's awesome. Seda, what what else comes up for you in this moment? Um, I'm not sure how much time we have left in this conversation. That's one thing. Um, I suppose- five, 10 minutes. Yeah. Seven so lifetimes. I, I, I could do with some lifetimes. <laughs> um, I suppose for me, the question that I would ask if I was in your shoes is what are the next steps? Yeah. yeah. Um, so shall I answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love okay. to know what, what next steps you, you sense out of what we've discussed today. I'd love mm. to hear that. Yeah. So, so I think, um, even preparing for this conversation made me realize that my, the own, my own podcast that I'm starting in a few weeks time, um, and, and there I'm documenting people's stories and the real reason behind doing that was just thinking I've got some amazing people in my life and I want other amazing people in my life to hear their stories because I'm in lots of communities that are kind of within their own container and so that for me I've realized is a big part of this work so for example John when you're a guest on it Alexis when you're a guest on it you will be introduced to people that would otherwise never have heard of you and bringing that stuff in is very much part of this. I think um, I need to create uh, a small community of people who I trust and who trust me to be able to unpack what is the essence of the community that I want to create, mm-hmm. um, but also have the permission to be the dissenting voice and tell me things that I don't want to hear because that's what a true friend does in my opinion. Um, And then I think thirdly, it's uh, this, the third thing actually in some ways is more of a technical thing in that I need to get a page up so that people who are interested in finding out more about the center for belonging and understanding can do that and then i can actually share my journey and what i'm doing uh in a, on a weekly basis and document that so that when somebody wants to set up their own community or center or do their own work they have kind of like a little bl- blueprint and they can learn from all of the mistakes and the I, i'm not going to swear but all of the f-ups and all of that other stuff <laughs> wait know. i have a sound effect <laughs> for that <laughs> there you go 
because you know I'm only human, and so I mean, literally, like I said before, I'm one. I may be doing this because I'm one step ahead, and so there are a lot of people who want to learn how to do this. So, I the best way that I learn is by sharing. And so I think, yeah, those I think are the three clear steps for me right now. And you've given me a huge amount to think and reflect on, um, which has just been an enormous gift. And so Alexis, I want to thank you for your podcast. I want to thank you for everything that you stand for. And I want to thank you for this invite and this opportunity. Thank you both. I um, I have 45 pages of notes and uh, I think our listeners probably do too. And, and there is a transcription available um, in addition to all of this. But before I say goodbye, I have one of the favorite questions that uh, John and the team at Exchange often ask when they're closing out uh, conversations. And it is, is there anything else uh, from your head or from your heart <laughs> that you would like to share with uh, people who are listening today. Yeah, I think for me, what is both from my head and my heart and my soul and my entire being is just, um, I think Alexis, you've created an enormous gift for your listeners. Um, and I hope that they're gonna share it with other people in their lives as well. And John, you know, um, from the moment that we met, inverted commas, electronically, I just think you, you've just been a source of much growth for me personally and uh, I'm really really happy that you're in my life I really am so mm. thank you Seda thank you for that and the uh, the feeling the feeling is definitely mutual and I would respond to what you shared by asking that uh, well one is for you Seda and that is I've gotten to know you well enough to know that you are not going to compromise so I wanted to give you this encouragement, but I guess it's really for myself or anybody else that's going to start a community. And um, just to remember that, you know, your tribe is your tribe and you, know, you don't compromise on who you choose to spend time with, who you choose to tolerate, who you choose to bring into your conversations. Um, let it you've allowed your whole life to be an emergent journey the way that you the way that you applied to 600 jobs when you were going through your architect, I know your story. This woman applied to 600 jobs so she could get one, so she could make it as an architect. And then you, and then you listened to your soul and said, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And you became a coach and a guide. And, and now you've allowed your journey to take another emergent turn, so. I am, I am so honored to have any seat, a front row seat, a back row seat, uh, a side door seat to your journey. It's, it's such a pleasure. I, I appreciate it so much. And I hope that anyone who heard this conversation um, considers or reconsiders that Seda, what you're doing is in service of such an extraordinary need in this world. I think some people would use the word, there's a need for healing. There's a need for people to learn how to be together in the face of their differences. Um, I mean, you're leading in a redefinition, a reimagination of even the whole DEI space. That takes a lot of bravery, but you're doing it in a way that is going to work. It is working. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. I need it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you both so much for today's conversation. And I think that the magic that you bring to the world and the gifts that you bring to the world are so much about belonging. And even just in your comments to each other now, it is so apparent that you are the kind of people that see the best in others. And um, I think that enables you to create spaces where people feel seen and loved and belonging just for who they are. So thank you both for the work you thank do. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> I loved today's conversation and I walked away with new perspectives and ideas for how to increase belonging in the Dovetail community and how to better support our members of the community as we get ready to reopen the membership and welcome new members in in September. Today, I invite you to think about this. As you work to strengthen your organization and build community within your team, how might you create conditions that provide a sense of belonging for everyone? How might you engage the community members themselves to create or further develop the community and ensure that sense of belonging? When you think about the organization that you're leading, how can you incorporate John and the exchange approaches four S's of community building? Safety, story, sharing, and stewardship. Just a little reminder, safety includes the psychological safety for everyone, not just for some. Story is sharing your bigger mission and the story behind why you do what you do. Sharing is sharing value and creating opportunities for everyone to give and to receive. And stewardship is enabling your community and your organization to be stewarded by the members so that the entire organization doesn't rest on your back alone. Lastly, how might you invite the members of your community, whether it's existing or not yet in existence, to participate in specific conversations where they're contributing to the sense of belonging and answering some of the biggest questions that you could ask, including questions like, why do we exist as an organization? Who do we want to be? How do we want to behave together? And where are we going as a community? What would it really look like for us to create value together? And how do we make those come true? In the Dovetail community, I've used both the four S's from the exchange approach and the exchange co-creation process. And as we get ready to reopen our membership to welcome in a new cohort of members, I'm excited to apply what I've learned from Saida and John today to make our community a space of even greater belonging and peer-to-peer support. If you're an established woman entrepreneur looking for an incredible community of women with big brains, big ideas, and even bigger impact, then let's talk. Go to dovetail.community and complete our short application to see if our community is the right fit for you. Thanks so much for being here today. I can't wait for you to meet the rest of the incredible entrepreneurs who are joining me this season, and I'll be releasing new episodes every Wednesday. So be sure to follow the podcast on whichever app you use so you don't miss out on insights, inspiration, and big ideas.